0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to today's podcast. Today is going to be a little different to usual in that I thought we'd mix it up a bit by not having my usual format of interviewing one guest on the show, but instead using a recording of a Clubhouse event that I did a couple of weeks back. Now, for those of you who don't know what Clubhouse is, it's best described as a social media networking app based on audio chat only. It's sort of part talkback radio, part conference call, and users can listen in to conversations, interviews and discussions between all sorts of interesting people on various topics. It's just like tuning into a podcast, but it's live and usually with an opportunity for the listeners to ask questions and engage with the speakers. Now, I host a regular room on Clubhouse every Monday for an hour at either 4 or 5 p.m. London time, and I usually record them. So I hope you enjoy this one. Okay, so thanks for joining us. I'm Anthony Whitaker from Grow My Salon Business. Uh, Welcome to the room. And for those of you I don't know, it's great to have you here. Uh, I, too, am a hairdresser, uh, a business coach, an author, podcaster, seminar presenter, online course creator, and a collaborator with John Paul Mitchell Systems. And this is a regular room that I host every Monday at about this time. And just to let everyone know that I am recording this session today. First time I've recorded it. Not quite sure what I'm going to do with it, uh, but we wanted to see what the quality of the recording was going to be like. So, Okay, so today's event or today's room I have titled... How hairdressers can help save the planet. And on the stage with me, we had some great green business experience and wisdom in the form of, first of all, we've got James Alba. Uh, James is no stranger to Clubhouse. He's been in a few rooms with me already uh James is a New Jersey-based uh, salon owner, and um, I've been uh, admiring some great posts he's been doing on social media every day about, you know, the environment, taking care of it, et cetera. So I'll get you to talk about that later, James, too. Uh, then we've got from the UK, we've got Fry Taylor, and Fry is a uh, founder or co-founder of Green Salon Collective in the UK. So those people in the UK have probably heard of it already. If you're in the US, uh, you wouldn't have, but basically it is a very similar Uh, product or business to Green Circle Salons in North America. And joining us from North America and Green Circle Salons is Mark Budihas. And I don't know Mark, so I hope I said your name right there, Mark, but it's great to have you join us here uh, as well today. So I've got a little intro I wanted to sort of get into before we uh, segue into talking with our guests Uh, Basically, I think, you know, unless you've been living in a cave for the last 30 years, uh, you would have become aware that the world we live in is fragile and what's more, it's in a vulnerable state. And you also know that the problems are predominantly of our own making and that we owe it to the next generation and to the generations that follow to do everything that we can to reverse the trajectory of the damage that is happening to the planet. It's not a case of the government should do something about it or that someone else should do something about it. It's a case of what are you and what am I going to do about it? Because if everyone doesn't take ownership of their own actions and make changes, then it will become irreversible and too late. And just like COVID has been like a script from a horror movie that none of us expected, global warming is having an impact on all of us. It's going to make the impact of COVID look like a a holiday camp, I'm I'm guessing. Uh, So, as an industry, you know, we need to do something as individuals and as an industry. And as an industry, the salon sector contributes a lot of waste in the form of chemicals, uh, plastics, metals, paper, hair, and, and now the dreaded PPE in the form of masks and visors and gloves and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm going to start off by talking or asking James a question, first of all, um, so the other two guys can find their feet, as this is their first venture onto Clubhouse. So, James, you are a salon owner. You're also a coach or, you know, you've got numerous credentials uh, in the industry. Uh, But as a salon owner, what would you say the simple
1: things are that salons need to change. Well, thank you so much for having me, Anthony. Always always great to be on with you. Um, I would say the first thing to take a look and review Um, what they're doing. I mean, that's the biggest thing about um, sustainability in the salon industry overall is if you don't have something to measure it against. I mean, we're all great at looking at KPIs in terms of rebooking and uh, scheduling and retail sales. But just to take a look at what that waste actually looks like. um, And first of all, I mean, color waste is one of the worst things in the world. And a lot of times that's just money, um, money being washed down the drain, right? So um, those are some things that our guys, Mark and Fry, can definitely talk about a little bit with what Green Circle does. But I think if you don't know, you don't know. So what I usually encourage salons to do that want to take those eco steps forward is just start to measure and take a look at, you know, what that waste looks like, whether um, you're serving different things in plastic in the salon for your refreshments, if you're, um, you know, wasteful. I know gloves became a big issue for us as part of our PPE because we were using reusable gloves um, throughout the salon. So they would, uh, you know, a little higher quality, a little better gloves that now we just cannot do or will not do. So it's just we've been measuring and kind of keeping our green circle salon bins full of all the crazy so besides the typical you know weekly load of what we're doing the PPE has just been criminal with disposable capes and things but you know once you do the analysis on it you can find alternatives so to give you an example with the disposables now uh, we're using a compostable biodegradable plastic cape So we had to source them, we had to find them. We knew it was coming, so it was something we sort of uh, looked for during the actual closure itself. And at least that's one step in the right direction to make sure they're not those typical plastic capes that were initially a requirement for a lot of salons when they reopened. Fabulous,
0: thanks for that uh, intro, James. makes a lot of sense what you just said. Uh, Mark, can I I come to you, Um, you know, pretty much put the same question to you to start with. Um, you know, what What are some of the simple things that salons need to change? I mean, I, I know you are, um, you know, an educator. Uh, sorry, we haven't met before, but from what I've read, you're an educator and, you know, you're very uh, heavily involved with Green Circle Salons in North America. So I know some of our listeners will be already participating in the Green Circle Salons program, but for those people that aren't,
2: what are some of the things that, that every salon owner can start doing out there? Hey, well thank you i'm i'm just thrilled to be here and yeah i'm a newbie with this whole thing uh but uh your question i think is uh, is direct but at the same time there are so many things and it's very very complicated the easiest thing i think that what james was talking about is to first to take a look at really what you are um, wanting or needing to purchase. And I think the interesting thing that I've learned over the years here now with Green Circle Salons is to take a look at everything from the perspective of what am I going to do with it when I'm done? with it. So if you can start with that, you can take a look at just your uh, uh, kind of mix of supplies, a mix of materials you use, whatever it is, and see if there are alternatives. I think that's really the first biggest step. And then to really take a look at just a couple of small steps. Uh, For me, uh, one of my uh, uh, vices, if you want to say it that way, uh, is paper towels. It's like, it's so darn convenient. If you can just stop using them, and actually use something uh, that I might have to rewash or or just to to, to rinse off, um, that alone starts making an impact on your individual contribution. But I think the biggest thing for salons is to start really taking a look at what we use and, and from that perspective of when we're done with it, what are we going to do with it?
0: Yeah, I love that. I think that is a that's a, a great statement, isn't it? What am I going to do with this? When I'm done with it. Yeah. So it's all about, a lot of it's about, you know, repurposing of stuff, isn't it? And uh, I, I don't know, uh, Mark, if you're uh, familiar with Green Salon Collective in the UK, but Fry one of the founders of that. And, uh, I know I, I had the pleasure of having Fry on a podcast of mine uh, last year, and Fry, I'd get you to come on and have a talk to us about some of the stuff you know that you're doing, um, you know, so to directly answer that question, you know, what are some of the th- simple things that salons and and hairdressers, you know, can do? Uh, I I know I was really blown away with that one thing that you told me that you did where you were recycling plastics into uh, usables back in the salon. So whether it was tent bowls or, um, you know, uh, balayage boards or whatever, and I was really impressed with that. So Fry, so, right, over to you. Yeah,
3: sure. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me, Anthony. And yeah, good good to meet you as well, James James and Mark. And um, yeah, Mark touched on something quite interesting about what are you going to do with the waste? What's going to be the, the end life for that waste? And that really comes back to, um, to what we do, because we always have a circular economy in mind with each of the waste streams. And, and as you said, with plastics, Most of those are are, are quite useful. And here in the UK and Ireland, we we optimistically recycle 20% of our plastics. But realistically, it's closer to 9%. So at Green Salon Collective, um, we try and do things that are fun with each of the waste streams. And, and at the moment we're working on various projects where we're taking salon plastics, turning them into combs, turning them into color bowls. Um, and we've got a, yeah, a few other sort of surprises for, for later in, later on in the year as well. But as far as, um, yeah, as far as simple steps go, um, I think too many people rely on, Recycling. I think um, when salons approach us here in the UK and Ireland and and into Europe, they kind of come to us first. But before they even get to the recycling process, they should be rethinking their choices. Um, You know, they should be refusing certain products if they come in, you know, types of packaging. And obviously reducing the the amount they're they're using and reusing, you know, all of these classic five R's. And recycling is actually, you know, the fourth or fifth option. Um, Well, it should be the fourth or fifth option, but quite often we just go straight to recycling. So I think the guys touched on it before, is to is, is, to, is to question and, uh, and rethink what you're, what you're purchasing in, in the first place. But um, another thing, I'm not sure if you want me to touch on this as well, but we, we have a, an advisory book called The Green Bible, and there's very simple things that we encourage salons to look at, which can have an immediate impact, um, and there's something that can be done overnight. And um, a classic example is the milk that you use in your salon. It's quite um, common for salons to use eco-type heads, you know, so they save litres or, you know, uh, litres of water every day on, on washing the hair. But if you just simply made a switch from cow's milk to, uh, you know, to a dairy-free milk, you can potentially save four or five hundred litres of water just by making that simple switch from a dairy milk to to a soy milk or an oat milk, um, and that's often quite a surprising thing for salon owners to hear because they think they're reducing their water consumption by changing their taps, but they could have changed their water consumption even more just by switching the milk they use in their in their salon. So, yeah, as I said, lots of interesting little things that salons can do
0: quite quite quickly to change their overall footprint. Thanks for that, Fry. Yeah, it's interesting. There's all these little. Angles that you don't necessarily, you know, think about. As first off, I, th- I think that the average person out there, when you, you know, when you talk to them about going green, they straight away just think about recycling. So, uh, yeah, there, there's obviously lots of lots of things that aren't recycling, but they are still having the ultimate end effect. Uh, end, end impact is the same thing, which is that we're taking care of the planet and we're utilizing our resources better than uh, what we might otherwise have done. Um, but let me turn that on its head a little bit too uh, and ask another question, which is, you know, what what progress have we made like, as an industry? I mean, I don't know how old uh, uh, Green Circle Salons is. I, I know that uh, Green Salon Collective is not that old. But, you know, what, what sort of progress have we made in the last 10 years? Is, it, is there some positives to take from this?
3: Yeah, yeah. Personally, um, I think there there are many positives happening here in in the UK and Ireland. And, and as you said, we we are way behind the trends on this. Um, as far as I know, green circles have been going since something like two thousand and five, um, and we've been going since twenty twenty. So that just shows how how far behind. I think what's changed here um, is the appetite from the consumers. Consumers want now a more ethical, sustainable version than than what they're already getting. And that could be whether they're buying a jumper from HM, who, you know, just a high street retailer. They recently brought out a sustainable range and it sold out within two weeks. It could be when you go to the supermarket to buy your eggs. As as a kid growing up, the cage free section was the largest and the organic free range was the smallest. That's totally flipped around now. People are willing to pay a little bit more for an ethical, sustainable version of what they've got. And now haircuts are a part of that as well. It's the same with with Green Circles. It's the same with sustainable salons in Australia. It's the same with us here. If you can get a haircut that's going to be a positive impact on the environment, but pay a couple of dollars more, or you can save a couple of bucks and get a haircut that's going to be detrimental to the environment, what are you going to choose? You're always going to choose the one that's more the more positive so what's quite interesting that we found here that's a positive thing is that the appetite is there the salons want this the salons are demanding it and they're actually financially benefiting from the program as well and i'm sure mark can can back me up on this but um, for the green salon collective members they're they're bringing on new clients Uh, on average three or four new clients in the first um, month they'll pick up being on our program and and i think it's similar with with green circles in america because as i said people want an ethical sustainable version of what
2: they've already got okay thanks so yeah. for that Frank. Mark? yeah what, what's your take yeah. on that? Uh, we we see the exact same thing. In fact, there was a, uh, a recent survey uh, put out by Modern Salon that shows 72% of consumers would be interested to know what happens to their beauty waste service or, 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 or materials. And I think that's interesting. It speaks to what Fry was talking about because the, the thing that I see – is the with the onslaught onslaught excuse me of uh oh just pick uh videos in the last five or six years remember wasn't that long ago we didn't have videos everywhere everything being videoed all the time uh things like plastic uh floating up on the beaches we would hear about them but if you didn't live there you really didn't see it that much now everybody's seen the the floating, uh, you know, island of plastic and, and, and waste out in the ocean. Everybody's seen that. Clients have seen that. Hairdressers have seen that. Everybody has seen that, and we've all. Come to understand, um, that for all of these years, we've been told this kind of falsehood. And that is take all of that stuff, throw it in a bin someplace. Somebody will take it away and we'll never have to worry about it again. And I think that awareness is really what is driving this when you take a look at it, because I don't know about you, you all and and everybody in the audience. Before I came to GreenServe, I came to GreenServe about four years ago and, and, um, before I came to Green Circle, I live in the Northwest in the U.S. Um, I'm as green as can be, or I thought, and I really didn't know what I was not, what I didn't know. And I think for most of us, we kind of walk around thinking, again, that whole idea of I'm hoping that this plastic gets recycled, but most of us really just don't know what to do. And so one of the ways we can uh, kind of mitigate that, if that's the right way to put it, is actually... Uh, be a proponent of uh, a, a supporter of businesses that are green or trying to do the right thing. And I think all of that is part of this equation as well.
0: Yeah. Uh, Marcus, do you, do you find that it's a generational thing, the things that Fry was talking about, that people are prepared to pay more for this now and they hunt it out, you know, uh, is it a generational thing? Is it like Gen Z that are more actively doing that?
2: I think it is generational to a point. Um I'm obviously a, this older generation, you know, the, uh, one of the younger boomers, I guess. Um, and I've noticed that just through my own family of what the next generation has no problem paying for. I think my first uh, ex- er, experience was that was when gas went so high and we were always worried about the cost. And, you know, our kids were never worried about it. And so I do think there is part of that's happening. But I also see it as part of, uh, it's not just a generation, it's a personality. I, I think everybody on this call, uh, everybody in our industry, there, there is a common denominator. It has a lot to do with feeling and all of that. But uh, I see it more as the awareness is building. Certainly there are generations that take a while to come around to that to, to, to that feeling. Um, but I see our industry as one of the main drivers to different generations i see hairdressers of every age adopt this and and when they start talking to their clients i think that's when the biggest aha happens for all of them because if you're not it's a feeling thing and then when you start to see the results, it actually changes your mind about it. And and I don't know what that actually is, to tell you the truth, but it's just in my conversations over four years with salons all across North America and seeing those that I thought, oh, this person really is not that interested or not. And then they are one of the first people to join and want to be part of it. So,
1: Yeah, good.
0: OK, uh, you made me think of that movie. I don't know if you've seen it, Mark, Seaspiracy. Um, it's, you know, it's very current at the moment on Netflix and, and uh, I saw it the other night and it absolutely blew me away. So if you're in the audience and you haven't uh, checked it out, it's C-spiracy, Seaspiracy, S-E-A, Spiracy, like Conspiracy, and uh, uh, it'll it'll certainly shake you up a lot as to what's happening to uh, to the oceans out there and what we need to do about it. Um, James, can I come to you? You you are a salon owner, Um how do you find this impacts on your bottom line? I mean, uh, I know Fry and Mark have, have both said that it, it does actually bring clients to a salon, that it's it's adding to a salon's bottom line. Uh, what's your experience of, of what that looks like at the coalface as a salon
1: owner? Well, you know, and it's funny, I, I agree with, with both what Fry and Mark were saying on it. Um, you know, to, to just one add-on, I would say, from the generational side, um, you know, the hair salon obviously can take Everyone one of all walks of life and everything else and as the younger generation comes up they are looking for companies and they are looking to work with whether it's their local hair salon their dry cleaner the places they shop the places they eat for people that have a message and for companies that have a message so i know we had talked one time i think our last call anthony about um, you know the shop local type thing and now it's not just shop local it's shop intentional so you know this newer generation they grew up in a house that always had a recycling bin right your food uh, your food compactor and your sink turned into a a composter um, outside your house. Um, You know, recycling has been part of their life forever. So if it's something that's evident to them and they understand that when they come out and seek a salon like they do for uh, better services for the planet overall, they need to see it. And that's one of the nice things, and I'm sure, I'm sure Fry has the same type of thing that Green Circle does, where there is that recycling bin that's obvious when they walk in, and we make sure we highlight ours so that that message is clear from the second that they walk in the door. Um, but what it's been great for us for the bottom line is I know there's a cost factor difference to these things, is they it enables us to be able to price accordingly. And they'll gladly pay to know that they are working with a responsible company. And then once you turn the the other side with the color waste, uh, we're able to recapture a ton of that savings just by using something like Vish. I'm sure some of you are familiar with Vish. Um, You know, with what it does with the monitoring and the color waste alone, I mean, we're making hundreds of dollars more a week. By not wasting and another set of hundreds of dollars more a week just by charging the right price on there and still being eco-friendly. And obviously, sustainable puts a spin on it at that point because it's not just green. It's also sustaining our bottom line. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, James, i commented
0: before about your social media posts that you've been doing Um Do you want to talk to us a little bit about that and what sort of impact that's had? Because I think they've been really powerful. And, uh, you know, as someone who follows you, just looking at your feed, I'm I'm just wondering what sort of impact
1: uh, or what sort of, you know, dialogue that's resulted in with clients. You know, it's interesting because what the plan was, I don't know if people realize, but last year was the 50th anniversary of Earth Day and obviously that was curtailed because of coronavirus. So we actually had a, a very nice intimate event planned with our clients. We were showing a documentary on pollinators. Um, for those of you who don't know, our salon is called the Beehive, so it's the double edge of bees and the planet and the retro hairstyle. It's sort of how we were founded. So we were opened as a green business from day one. Um, and really, we got to this year and we had fingers crossed that we'd be able to do something to honor the day and it looks like uh, you know vaccinations are making headway, but not enough to be able to host an event or to do anything um, a little more interesting like we would normally like to do. I mean, years ago, we used to hold an outdoor fair for Earth Day in our county. So a lot of really cool things that we were able to do. Um, so we just opted to go in and say, let's pick 30 days. So 30 posts over 30 days leading into Earth Day of things that were really make sense and things that we talk to our clients about, you know, when they ask why we don't have plastic straws or, you know, why we use glass cups instead of something. We always try to make sure that they have a clear understanding of what our environmental intentions are. And I think that was really it was the intention of saying, let's pick 30 things that people can do right now that um has been a really great conversation starter our staff has uh you know been inclined every day that they see the post to talk to their clients about it it's been good for our salons instagram because uh you know we're we're taking advantage of the green salon of of being in earth month but it's been nice to give people things that they can actually do today um so they can see the impact right away
0: that's great Brian. thanks to, to being here um Can I come back to you, Fry, as as someone who, uh, you know, both you and Mark, you know, come from the same position with this uh, and that you represent a company and you're dealing direct with salons trying to get them, you know, I don't mean that the wrong way, but you're, you're wanting them to become, you know, Green Circle or Green Salon Collective Salons. So what I'm asking you is this, what are the resistance points that you come up against with salon owners?
3: Yeah, we're, I guess it's uh, we're we're quite fortunate because the the resistance we get is minimal. The the issue that we have here in in the UK and Ireland is being a new company. People are not aware of what what we're doing, um, so that's that's been the sort of biggest uh, biggest challenge for us. But the the resistance we do get, it's um, it's so minimal. It's things like I, I'm not sure if I have enough room for the bins. Uh, I'm not sure if my clients are willing to pay an extra couple of dollars for for a green fee um, there's never really any resistance about is this the right thing to do and and will my clients like it the resistance is is just the sort of small logistical issues and once we um, yeah once we have that conversation with with the salon it's uh, it, it's really not It's really not a problem, uh, really not a problem for us at all. So, yeah, the the resistance, I don't think, uh, is is here for us. It's more just changing the the sort of mindset and, and opening people's minds up to what is actually available for them now. So part of that is that we do free educational seminars for for anyone who wants to, to come and join. We talk about hairdressing sustainability and the benefits it can have on your business. We do that once, uh, once a month and every month we do it, we get more and more people uh, come on board. It started with 30 or 40. The the last one we did, we had something like hundred and twenty different people listening to to how their salon could be more sustainable. So yeah, quite in answer to your question, we've we've been quite lucky in terms of in terms of resistance because it's been
0: minimal and mostly logistical. Good. Okay. Thanks, Brian. Uh Mark, what's your
2: take on that from a, a North American perspective? Yeah, it's um a very very similar. In fact, the the first thing I think that comes that, that comes up is always about the space. And and we already, I think all of us know you know space is very valuable in your salon. Um, it's interesting to, to to me because I think most of the resistance is in just people's uh, kind of held beliefs about uh, think about recycling and and you know steal a, a line from an old movie, you know, I don't think that word means what you think it means type of thing because the resistance I see most of the time is the fact that there is um there is an amount of commitment and cost associated with. Uh, uh the way we recycle and it's really part of the issue we're all uh, why we have the issues that we have i know in 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 the united states here uh you know that that idea uh, i think fry you were talking about that that hopefully we can get to 20 percent recycling when we know it's really more like seven eight nine percent but i think the resistance has to do more with the fact of you really have to have a uh a good strategy in place in order to make it work because we don't have a traditional option. We don't have a traditional outlet for it. And so it's wrapping to me, it's wrapping your mind around the fact that I've got to change the way I do things, whether it's charging an eco fee, which I do think is is a bit of a, uh, a, a, a deterrent. It's interesting to me. Once I tell salon owners, uh, just survey your clients before you decide to do this, and then they all come back to me and tell them it's no big deal. But it's that wrapping your brain around the fact that I'm going to have to really do something that's that's not maybe as convenient as as what we think recycling should be, or not as cheap or inexpensive as we think recycling should be. Um, but once you have it. In place, I think once you experience how it works, especially if you talk to another salon owner that's doing it, it takes away that idea that I'm not sure what to do. I'm not sure if this is going to work. We have, we've been in business for uh, since 2009 now, and we just have all of this information. The fact that we know that if you have a good strategy in place to make sure that these materials are managed properly and responsibly reintroduced into the environment. Once you have that plan in place, I think then you can see how it can work. But it's that beginning part of that to me is the resistance. Mm. What you just called it a,
0: an eco-fee. And what I want to ask you about and, and really ask, ask all three of you is, you know from a consumer's point of view, I would rather just be charged X dollars you know, pounds, euros, whatever for a haircut. And I would want a COVID fee, a eco fee, a recycling fee, whatever that was included in the X dollars. Now, I know that you don't normally
2: advise that, do you? You normally like it separated as an adult. Am I correct saying that? That's true. And I have a, I have a, a a personal experience with this. And and it's one of the things I talk about all the time with salon owners, Uh, whether you call it an eco fee or a service fee, I think a new term is a health and wellness fee. Um, And and the idea of charging more for my services is not a bad idea to, to make something like this work. We do it for our telephone and our front desk and all that kind of stuff. But the idea that I'm including the community in on the conversation Become something else. Now, my personal experience was, um, I was, I lived up by Seattle, Washington, a uh, very progressive city. We were one of the cities in the U.S. To, to go to a $15 minimum wage early. And so as that was increment, now everybody's heard the stories. It's going to just, you know, it's going to bankrupt restaurants and all that, that kind of stuff, the cost. Um, and so we were out to dinner and it was the holiday time before COVID and all that. And I got the bill for the, for the, the receipt for the meal. And on the bottom of the receipt, it literally stated uh, this uh, establishment no longer accepts tips. And this had to do with this $15 an hour minimum wage. Mm-hmm. This establishment no longer accepts tips. It's like, oh, okay. However, we have put an 18% service charge on your entire meal. Now, 18%, that's a tip as far as I'm concerned. The next line says... All of that service charge will go to pay for our employees' health care. Now, in the U.S., health care is a big deal. I was at that point spending $1,000 a month on health care. So it was a big deal to me, just for me. And so reading this on the ticket... I was now brought into the conversation and I know exactly where that 18% is going. It's not going to the owner's new car. It's not going to some vacation. It's literally going to the person who is serving the meal to me and taking care of me and my family that night. So to me, that is that wrapping your head around the fact that we put our projections on what should what our clients will like I think more importantly, when we all know our clients drive really what we do. And so that idea that they brought me in on the conversation allowed me to make a decision and make a really kind of open one. Yes, I want to do this or no, I don't. And I think we do that in our salons with everything the way you decorate, the way you show up on time, the way you answer the phone. We tell people who we are and how to do business with us from day one. And I think what this does by having this idea of a health and wellness fee at the end of it, it allows that client to make that choice, but it also throws out to the community who you are and we're looking for people that are like-minded. So it does so many things on that level. I think that's one one of the hard things to wrap your head around when you're not in it on that portion of it if, if i said that right mm-hmm.
0: okay um fry how does that fit with you and in, in, on this side of the pond in terms of reaction with uh salon owner stylist clients do you like to include it in the in the price or purposely keep it separated yeah, as soon as you started talking about it, I was frantically looking for some
3: sort of wave or hand up button <laughs> because uh, I, I know people sometimes talk about the fact that it should be included. And, and I really I really strongly disagree with that for, for two fundamental reasons that I'll, I'll try and be brief on. For, first and foremost, I find that by having a green feed, it, it almost guarantees there's now going to be a conversation about the extra things that that salon's doing, because someone is going to say, "What is this green fee for?" Um, it's not a, uh, and it's never going to be a negative answer because now the client has found out that a haircut is potentially going to clean up an oil spill like like we did yesterday in Ireland, or they found out that their their foil is is going to be recycled. So, it for me, um, I love the fact that it it helps to to instigate a conversation, but from a salon owners' point of view, and and I know that you'll love this, Anthony, is that the way that we set up our green fees with all the software companies here uh, is quite important. The the green fee does not go towards any stylist commission, and it sits separately on the profit and loss statement. So, at the end of each month or quarter, we want to, and and we do quite clearly see that Salon X has collected £300 worth of green fees and then they've spent 300 pounds with green salon collective so not only do they have all the benefits of of being a green salon collective member but they can clearly see in their figures that it's a cost neutral program for them and you can't
0: get that when you're including the green fee as part of your as part of your service okay that makes sense uh, james you're the you're the salon owner here um, you know standing at the uh, at the front desk with clients adding this fee. i'm assuming you add it on
1: is that what you do and and what sort of you know response do you find that you get? So we actually use a hybrid of both. Um, initially, when we did Green Circle years ago, listen, when there's too many line items, and, and I'll give you the example on our end, is because we're measured out very specifically with color, there's a good chance that that client's ticket uh, hopefully is going to go up when they come in. So if they're in for you know, a single process and haircut, there's a good chance they may do a conditioning treatment or some type of add-on color extender or something. So what was happening initially, it wound up being a lot of line items on that on that ticket or that e-receipt when they got them in. So what we opted to do was we included in the total for the service, but we listed as a line item that it was part of their service. So this way, it takes out the cost factor. And I understand we want to still have the conversation so they see it, but it made it a little less confusing when they were paying the bill. Um, you know, sometimes salons here in the U.S. there's no tax on services here in New Jersey. You know, different things added to the bill sort of made it seem like they have the option of not doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, which obviously listen for every you know for every 25 clients that we have that come into us specifically because we serve natural products and we specialize in the sustainable salon world uh, you'll have that one that just doesn't care right she lives across the street and it's easier to come in by you than to go up the block so it made it a little bit easier but still left the conversation open what it's also done is at specific times we may sponsor a certain charity so whether we're working with a thirst project or the fruit tree planting foundation we've been able Able to change that line item so as the salon overall if we said hey we're going to plant a, a tree for every person that came in for the month of April through the fruit tree planting foundation we can switch up that line item so when they do get the e-receipt they know that as a salon part of their service went to this charity project and the goal was to plant you know 500 trees for the month of April or whatever it is so it also kept the eco and sustainable charities we work with involved as part of the conversation so we've been able to work it both ways.
0: Okay. Can can I ask you all, what what is, if you're a hairdresser listening to this, what is the sort of low-hanging fruit in terms of becoming greener? Like, what is the thing... That you know, if you were just going to focus on one thing, whether it was with a third party like Green Circle Salons or Green Salon Collective, uh, or whether they were just doing it uh, independently, you know, what is the one sort of thing? Is it is it you know chemicals? Is it plastic? Is it paper? Um, You
2: know, what's the one thing that you think they should be doing? Do do you want to answer that first, Mark? Um, yeah, that, that idea, I think, is really good because it, it, it allows you just to kind of focus on one thing. I know we've talked about uh, choosing the right things up in front, but I do think that if you, as an independent stylist or even as a salon, the, there are two things that you can really do right away to really monitor that chemical waste. I think what uh, things like Vish have done has really helped not only to keep that uh, from being uh, wasteful as far as over over mixing and all of that and keeping it down to that particular client. So I think in investing in something like that will help your bottom line and do really good things for your community and planet right away. The second thing to me is the idea of something like metals going into the landfill. So if nothing else, if you can keep those foils out of the trash somehow, and again, you need a plan to do that, but something that you can do that's low-hanging fruit is really those couple of things of, of what are you throwing into landfill and can you find an alternative for it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I um, When I interviewed Fry for my podcast, and I'll get you to jump in on this, Fry, uh, I was amazed the amount of specialist recycling companies that you were talking about that could recycle I forget the term you used, but you know they could recycle polluted metal, meaning tint tubes, basically, and aluminium foil, and that they could recycle uh, plastics and turn them into combs and balayage boards. Do you want to do you want to talk to that for a minute? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think uh,
3: Green Circles works uh, in a op- uh, in a similar way, but for us at Green Salon Collective, we we really have so many relationships with so many specialist recyclers, and like you said, that could be. The guys that take the the contaminated metals. Uh, it could be the guys that take the soft plastics. So um, we have uh, we have all of those. Sort of solutions in place, and as I said before, we we try and create something that is um, that is fun and useful for either the environment or our industry with with each of those those waste streams. And, and people love the plastics because we can take them in and turn them into to, to color bowls or combs or or that type of thing. But um, to give you uh, yeah, just on, on your question of, of low hanging fruit. Um, I really like what what Mark uh, what Mark said, so I'll I'll give you some low hanging fruit that you might not expect, um, and that is something to look at that we never do is to look at who you bank with. So to give you uh, an example, if you're in the if you're in the states or, or Canada and you bank with uh, Wells Fargo, J P Morgan, Citibank, Bank of America. You effectively are funding fracking. You're, you're funding uh, oil being drilled out of the ground. If you're in the UK and you bank with Santander, HSBC, Barclays, Royal Bank of Scotland, Lloyd's Bank, again, you are actually funding things that you're against. It's uh, it's a it's a real minefield when you start digging. But these banks will actively invest. Their money, which is your money, into things that are detrimental to the environment. So I think a really good low-hanging fruit would be check who you bank with, and and make a switch to an ethical bank that isn't going to invest in those things, and they're actually going to invest in uh, you know in renewables and solar and,
0: and wind and those types of uh, operations. Good, good point. Um, you mentioned something before which I glossed over. Um, or you glossed over, and it was the oil spill because I saw that on your social media feed or someone's social media feed this morning that um, uh, there was an oil spill somewhere in Ireland. I don't know how big it was, and there was a, a part of the post was about uh, it being soaked up with uh, you know recycled hair. Uh, do you want to just tell us a little bit about that? Yeah,
3: so where I live in in Ireland, um, in in the north of Ireland, there was. Uh, some uh, agricultural land, and and they had a large spill of red diesel oil, and this was um, discovered on just just last weekend on on Saturday, and the the oil was was going all the way down the peninsula, um, and yeah, it was just a great opportunity for us to do to do what we do. We we have a stockpile of hair in Ireland, um, ready for for these types of things, so. Within um, thirty-five minutes, forty minutes of of finding out about this spill, uh, we were we were in the water with with our hair booms. So, uh, as you, as you as you, I'm sure you will know, because hair booms are uh, North American uh, invention. A hair boom is essentially hair in a in a, in a stocking, uh, in in like a cotton tube. So, we were able to to get in the water. We were able to contain some of this this diesel oil um, and actually remove it with the hair booms. So it it works like a sponge. You know, we've all got hair or we've all had hair at some point in our lives, I'm sure. We all know that hair absorbs oil uh, and, and that process, um, that theory applies when the hair's in water as well. So it was a... Uh, yeah, it was a, something that we were really proud of, that we were able to act so quickly and, and do something positive. And again, going back to this whole circular economy, um, you know, if you can have a haircut and you know that haircut is going to do something like this, protect wildlife around Ireland by by cleaning up uh, an oil spill, why would you not want to be a part of that? And exactly the same for, for the guys in in States and Canada as well. So, yeah, I'm glad you saw that. It just, just happened... Uh, uh, the weekend, and I still can smell a
0: faint smell of oil on me because I was absolutely drenched. <laughs> well, uh, fantastic. Well done. Um, I, I've got one thing that I'm, I'm sort of aware of here is that um, I do this um, Clubhouse event uh, a on a different topic every Monday at this time, and... This room is by far the smallest. So there'd usually be two or three times, you know, anywhere between sort of hundred people on each room. Um, so the question I'm really asking you is how do you make it sexy? Do you know what I mean? Like that there are lots of rooms out there at any one time. And um, how do you make, you know, the environment green, you know, uh, protecting the planet's resources, et cetera? How do you make it sexy? How do you sell it? That's the big challenge, isn't it? Because, you know, without getting people engaged in it, it, it nothing happens. And it's essential that it there's a shift. So, you know, what's the key to do that? What's the sort of thing that you might be doing?
3: Yeah, it's it's quite an interesting one because we, you know, we spend good money on on like some really snazzy marketing images of of different things. And then the picture of me, you know, Waste deep in in oil and water is is the picture that skyrockets the instagram and it's the one that everyone everyone really loves so it's really difficult for us we're we're focusing on uh on this circular economy model because we think that if the waste itself is not very attractive the story behind it can be so metals is a is a good example that mark touched on we, we can recycle metals infinitely so as part of our circular economy um any hundred percent of any money that we make from recycling metals goes to a charity here called Haircuts for the Homeless, which uh, you know the name speaks for itself. So, for us, um, we're using the the sort of end life or the end goal of of these waste materials to create positive narratives um, for for consumers and clients. Is it sexy? I'm not so sure, but it is definitely um, it's definitely a, a, a positive. And if if Mark and James have got any. Yeah, got any ideas on
0: this? I'd, I'd love to hear it too. Yeah, sexy is probably the wrong word, but you know, you, you, you get where I'm coming from. You know, so <laughs> it, it, it's important to get that engagement. Mark, what's your take on that? James, what's your take?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's the hard part, right? Is, is getting people engaged with it. So my take and my perspective really has been about what's good for our industry. And, um, uh, uh, we all know now, um, the way salons uh, look at their business and the profitability and, and, and running their business off of the data that they capture and making good decisions, I think that's really important for just for our industry as a whole. The other side of it for what I really look at is that this is a way when you start when you start looking at creating a sustainable salon, you are you are making a commitment not only to the planet, but to your direct community. And at the same time, you're making a commitment to the industry. And so my mission really is about let's elevate the the industry as far as we're learning how to run our salons. I think we do much better than when I owned salons back in the day. I was lousy at it. But I think salons are better at running, or, or, or stylists are better at running salons now. But when you think about managing the front end of your business, and also taking care of the back end to where we're not causing any kind of harm in the community. It elevates who we are in that business community. We can really look to the industry or the business next to us and we can show an example of how they could be running their business properly and really taking care of not only the planet, but uh, their people and their profit at the same time. And I think that speaks highly for who we are in our industry and we can hold our heads up more. <clears throat>
0: yeah, thanks for that, Mark. Uh, James, what what would you wanna add to that part of the conversation? How do you make it you
1: know, more engaging? Well, I mean, I, I actually liked the sexy comment. I think you gave me my next Instagram post there, Anthony. Um, <laughs> But I I think once you elevate your game overall, um, you know, we always viewed education as part of our salon sustainability, um, just like we view community involvement as part of our salon sustainability. So, um, you know, helping your staff, helping your community um, besides recycler are always things that are going to help the planet overall. You know, they may not stop people from using plastic straws immediately, but if you up your game in the salon, I mean, we went to, we've been using glass for a long time now, but um, We have this very fancy reverse osmosis water machine that serves perfectly clear, clean water um, as part of our service offerings with our clientele. We upgraded to this very sexy glass that sort of looks like a modified honeycomb which fits our company name and went to metal straws. And right away, clients get that served. You ask them if they'd like a drink and you bring it over and they're like, wow, this is, you know, they look at it as fancy and we say, well, I'm glad you think it's sexy, but it's sustainable and this is why. And it just gives you something else to talk about with them, and I think um, you have a lot of iPhone users, obviously. If uh, for now on Clubhouse, right? So anybody that has Apple Plus, if you check out, there's a new movie that came out, the the year Earth changed. David Attenborough as uh, the narrator of it, and it talks about this COVID year and how air quality changed, and how sea life changed, and how you know animals were able to uh, increase their population over this. And I think those are the conversations that uh, you know use companies like this, use companies like um, Green Circle Salon. or or green salon collective they're going to help you do those things but when you look at the environment overall and sustainability overall those are the conversations your clients are going to respond with um the fact that they know that their their things are being recycled properly is always helpful but the fact of the matter is there's so many other conversations you can open up with them that um that they'll they'll really get your green message yeah
0: okay uh well that leads into uh manufacturers um uh, you know, I I mentioned at the top of the, the call that I uh, are a collaborator with John Paul Mitchell Systems. And, you know, that they are heavily involved and always have been. JP's always been involved in that since the 70s. How important, you know, you talked about this, Fry, and I know that you have some sponsorship with a particular brand. Um, I may be wrong if that's uh, still ongoing. But how important is it for salons to be affiliated with brands that are seen to be doing the right thing and putting their money where their mouth is, et cetera?
3: Yeah, it's a, it's a really tricky one, actually, because um, a lot of salons will will stock a particular product on their shelf and then that's it. They'll call themselves an eco-salon uh, and they won't look <laughs> – they'll forget to look at everything else in their, in their business. So, you know, you could have a um, – a very sort of large uh, global scientific brand as, as your product, uh, or you could have one of these sort of uh, eco you know eco type brands. Uh, and if you're on a system like like Green Circle Salons, you'll you'll probably be uh, the the most sustainable salon anyway because you're actually looking at your business holistically rather than the products that you've got on your shelf. The products that you've got on your shelf are important, but they're only a small part of the whole puzzle. We we're quite lucky here that we have the support uh, and have been endorsed by uh, L'Oreal Professional Products Division, uh, Weller Professionals, Paul Mitchell, Kevin Kevin Murphy, Oway, um, pretty much every color house you, you can think of are behind us. And, and what I respect about that is that it's not it's really like not their responsibility um, to deal with salon and waste. They could quite easily just say to themselves, "Well, you know, we just create the products and you buy it, and that's that's where the relationship ends." But the fact that they acknowledge there is an issue with salon waste and that they're willing to go out and promote us, a brand new company, uh, I think is um, yeah, we've got a lot of respect for those guys. And and interestingly, the the individuals within those companies are are highly highly motivated because they see that their salons are crying out for being more sustainable. And the product companies themselves obviously don't want their salons to change to a brand that is maybe perceived as a more eco brand. So, it's really beneficial for everyone because you can essentially use the same products that you're using, because I feel that they're all pretty much, uh, they all very similar anyway, in terms of the core mm-hmm. ingredients. You can continue using the products that you're using, but you can still become more sustainable and more ethical just by looking at your business more, more holistically. So, yeah, we've got uh, a lot of respect for all the product companies here for, for stepping up and, and
0: helping us on on our journey. Mm, good. Thanks for that. Mark, uh, what, what do you want to add to
2: that before we start to wrap up shortly? Yeah, it's actually this, the same kind of conversation. I think the manufacturers are helping to drive uh, the awareness, which is really important. And I think that when you look at it from that aspect, uh, we need those manufacturers we need uh, uh, every aspect every voice that's here uh, and those manufacturers when you think about it too we go back to the uh, the, the idea of this uh, recycle hierarchy, hierarchy the first one being refuse. Um, most of the manufacturers are starting to understand that that they don't want to be refused on that part of it if people are making that choice we have i think we have uh, 17 manufacturers Uh, partners right now. And I think another thing to look at that hasn't been part of the conversation is not just the manufacturers, but it's the distributors as well. So we have close to 40, 37, 38 distributors as well that partner with us because it's not just that plastic bottle of shampoo that's on your shelf. It's the other supplies that you're being, uh, that you are purchasing from that distributor as well. So when you're working together with a shared mission of of uh, uh, trying to mitigate the end of life of these materials, I think it takes all of our businesses together to look at each other and say, "How can we help each other get to this uh, end point?" And that's really where we're trying to do is to assist them uh, to get to, to, to get their mandates, their goals in place as well. Yeah,
0: that's that's well said. It's interesting. I read I read somewhere once that someone was saying that if any of those big manufacturers were pouring, you know, hundreds of litres of of colour product peroxide, whatever, down the drain every day into the, you know, the sewage systems or waste systems, they would be, you know, hauled up and caught straight away. And yet effectively, that is exactly what's happening. But it's not going through the product company's drain, it's going through the salon drain multiplied by a 100, 1,000, thousand, ten thousand, whatever it is, the, the same thing is still happening is what I'm getting to is that the, you know, the product still finds its way into the uh, ecosystem if that's the, the right, you know, terminology for it. Um, anyway, uh, look, I, I want to ask one question to uh, wrap up with. And that is, what does the salon of the future look like? From this point of view, James, what would you, did you want Do you want to answer that first? You know, what would you think, you know, in 10 years time, I mean, salons have come a long way in the last uh, 10 years or so, I think, in terms of this, in terms of the awareness and taking the
1: responsibility. What do you think it will look like, you know, further down the line, another 10 years? Well, I think it's interesting going through the pandemic, how services and things became so individualized. You know, those clients are in a little pod, basically, whether you're partitioned that way, like a suite would be. But even in a traditional type salon, they're in their little unit and everything's there. So... I think the salon of the future is going to be more table side where you're going to physically be able to show them, you know, what their formula is right in front of them. If you don't have a color bar, they're going to see where their waste is going, what was wasted, what was used on them. Um, A lot of interesting things like that that are going to not only bring them into the salon environment as a communal experience, but to be able to bring them pocketed in into that individual experience. And they're going to wonder where those things are. So if you're structured as a sustainable green business, it just gives you you so much more in your arsenal for the conversation that's for sure yeah good point uh uh
0: fried you want to wrap up with uh, what do you see as the salon of the future being like
3: yeah for for me i think the the salon of the future will be will be zero waste and completely traceable so by that i mean that uh we have nothing going to landfill we have nothing going to um to incineration and and you're also able to to visibly see where these waste items are going, so whether it is the the hair that we physically show them is cleaning up the oil spills, the organic waste that is literally going to going to grow grow food or, or crops, the plastics turned into colour balls. I think the uh, the sort of transparency and the openness uh, and and zero waste, I think, is the salon of the future. And and in the UK, I, I don't see why we can't achieve that this year. Uh, I I think it's really exciting for for UK and Irish salons to to be able to have that opportunity.
0: Cool. Fantastic. Thanks for that, Fry. Uh, Mark, any final words on that before we start to wrap up the room? Yeah,
2: no, uh, I love what everybody's said so far. I think uh, the future really is about us taking the lead. And as an industry being, again, I think it's really important we show other industries how we can get this done. And we're really looking at this idea of creating that certification for salons where they can shout at the rooftops that they are climate positive, that they are uh, uh, able to... Um, take care of this material and make sure that we can take care of our, our community without causing more harm to the earth. So that's, that's another thing we're, what I'm excited about with green circle is that we're really looking to be able to, uh, show salons that they can, that, that that they're, they're earning the right to be, uh, to be climate positive, to be certified that way. Mm-hmm. Cool. Fantastic.
0: Okay. Well,
2: we need to start wrapping
0: up the call. This is a regular event. I'm here live every Monday at 5pm, which is uh, 12pm Eastern or 9am Pacific. Uh, Don't forget to give us a follow and ring the bell to keep informed whenever we go online. Uh, If our speakers would just like to unmute themselves, I just want to thank uh, all of you for... Uh, for being here and for what you've contributed. And want to thank all of our audience as well for uh, hanging, hanging with us for the last uh, hour on this topic. So, thanks, guys.
1: Thanks, thanks so guys much for having us, Anthony. Thanks, <laughs> Mark. Thanks, Frank. Yeah, hey, thanks, thank you guys. It was really good. Good.
0: Thanks, guys. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks, guys. So we're closing up this room now. I'm Anthony Whitaker, and I want to thank you for being here. Um, And if anyone wants to know more about what we do, then visit us at growmysalonbusiness.com. And until next week, uh, thanks very much. Have a uh, great day. and Keep safe, everybody. So thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks, Anthony. Thank you.